Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Marcus Howard, Chief Innovation Officer for Teach for America and founder of Greater Health Pharmacy and Wellness, a culture-focused pharmacy startup that aims to improve health outcomes in St. Louis for communities of color. Marcus, welcome to the show. What's up, Winston, man? I appreciate you for having me, man. I appreciate you for having me. I've been, a, I've been a huge fan of the podcast when you started it. I've been following it. And then uh, I just knew, like, once we had some traction, I would definitely want to jump on. So I appreciate you for having me, man. For sure, for sure. Yeah, man, it's a it's a joy to have you on. We've been keeping up with your story a little bit in the St. Louis area here, and we're excited to share it out with our listeners. But, you know, for those that maybe don't know you that well, you want to tell us a little bit about the, the Marcus Howard story, where you came from, where you grew up, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. We would call that the story itself, man. So I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, from the north side of St. Louis. Grew up uh, in St. Louis public schools, went to St. Louis public schools. Um, after I uh, got a scholarship, and so I moved up to North Carolina, where I went to UNC Chapel Hill. And, and, and as I was in college and undergrad, uh, I, I was pre-med and I thought I wanted to be a physician. Um, but then when I got to my senior year, I realized I, I did a, an internship uh, in the summer. Actually, it was at, uh, at BJC uh, in OGBYN office. Uh, and I realized I spent some time there and I realized like my, you know, my career is not necessarily my interest was not aligned to to being in the hospital um, and confined to that space. And so I pivoted out of healthcare into education, which is very similar, and, we'll, and we might get to that later, but it's very similar as far as some of the inequities that exist both in healthcare and education and so many parallels, which then brought me back to healthcare. Uh, but then I, my first job out of college was actually a teacher. I was a middle school math and science teacher in Las Vegas, and it was uh, probably the best job in my life. Um, I had a really great time. Uh, it was in a predominantly uh, African-American, low-income low income community in Las Vegas. Uh, but it was absolutely the best job of my life. Uh, and so I, I stayed in education uh, and, and eventually went off to get my PhD in human development um, and, and really studying and doing research around the development uh, of young people uh, and the future of learning. Um, and then long story short, I uh, went into a role at Teach for America uh, where I uh, worked with researchers, designers, and engineers to build new uh new technologies, new education technology products that uh, they're really focused on improving outcomes from low income uh, students of color. Uh, and we kind of, you know, kind of research, we build new technology and then we disperse it amongst uh, the different communities in the U.S. and we figure out uh, if it accelerates outcomes, then we improve upon it. And if it doesn't, uh, then we kind of iterate away from it. And so, you know, that work is really uh, where I got really my entrepreneurial spirit because now, you know, we, you know, we built small companies. We work with entrepreneurs to build their companies. Um, and now, you know, and now so everything comes full circle where I uh, started my own company. 
So that's just, it's a lot. That's a real humble flex right there, right? <laughs> like, you know, so I just want to go all the way back, you know, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, for some folks who may not have context, you know, St. Louis isn't always the easiest place for everybody to make it out of, right? Um, and you just kind of off the cuff, yeah, you know, grew up Northside, you know, UNC, Chapel Hill. Uh, I mean, like, were you, was the mindset already there? You mentioned you were pre-med, but growing up, did you have any influences or were there any experiences in the city or in your neighborhood that made you kind of want to have this more service or even healthcare then innovation kind of like, you know, career oriented mindset? Yeah, you know what? I mean, it was, I would just say it was really my family. I have a really tight knit family and, and friends. So I, I had both my, my mother and my father in my life. Uh, I had my grandparents in my life. Uh, I had really good, great friends. Um, and so I think all of that, that, that combination of people in my life, when they say it takes a village to raise, uh, is really the truth. Like I really had a village growing up. So I can't say that even though I grew up on the north side of St. Louis, I didn't have nobody. I had my uncles, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my friends. I really, my cousins, which were a huge influence in my life. So I, I pretty much had a lot of people who really helped me along the way and kept me on the right track and, and supported me in anything I did. Mm. Uh, I really had a lot of support. And then when I went to school, I mean, I know, I don't know, you know, maybe the St. Louis public schools maybe not get the best rap, but I had a really great experience because I, I really bonded with my teachers. Uh, and I had, uh, I had a lot of black teachers actually mm. uh, was growing up and, and, and it really, and that really helped me a lot because they fostered my, uh, my interest in science and math. Uh, and they really kept me going in the classroom. And then when I got, when I got home, my mom and my dad kept me going at home and then my friends kept me going and motivated. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely had a, a full system within the, you know, within being in St. Louis. And so I was pretty lucky. I know everybody doesn't get that experience. Yeah. And to kind of build on that a little bit, Marcus, what was what was that like when you first stepped foot at UNC Chapel Hill coming from the north side of St. Louis? It was a culture shock. (laughs) (laughs) It was a culture shock. You know, I'm going to be honest, like coming from St. Louis, you know, and and now coming back, I realized like, damn, St. Louis is 50 percent African-American. Like there's a lot of black people in St. Louis and where I'm from. That's all I saw. So when I got to UNC Chapel Hill, I was like. It was a it was a it was an absolute culture shock. I'm like, where are the black people? Where can I, you know can I join a fraternity? Can I join a group? What can I do to get around uh, people who look like me? Um, but it was to, to say the least, it was a culture shock. Um, but nonetheless, UNC it, it was a really great experience, and, and it was a really uh, it was an experience that shaped my ability to uh, to be successful in any environment, and so it really. Uh, shape my success up to this far as well. Hmm. That's that's definitely real. I think it's, you know, it's oftentimes, you know, those environments can be challenging. Like you said, you can experience culture shock, but oftentimes if you're resilient, you're there, you're embracing the moment, you know, you're really there with that open mindset. It could lead yep. to a lot of growth. So that's definitely dope, bro, um, that you just have a bunch of different positive, you know, mentalities, no matter what, you know, the outlook is. You mentioned, you know, being at UNC and then, you know, finishing up there, becoming a teacher and seeing, you know, certain inequities within education. Um, could you go get a little bit deeper into that? Cause I'm not sure if people aren't familiar with the industry, what you really mean when you say there's so many parallels. Yeah. You know, so with ed- both in education and in healthcare, um, 
both rely on systems uh, to either improve healthcare and education or, you know, or is the reason why there's so much inequity. And so the same reason um, there is uh, systemic uh, and structural inequalities that exist uh, that that result in, you know, education inequity. Right. So to say all of that. Um, there are, you know, people in certain communities don't have access to Wi-Fi or Internet or technology in which they uh, have exposure. They don't have the same level of vocabulary because they don't they're not able to afford books or their family is not necessarily come from an educated background. So uh, students are not hearing uh, the level of vocabulary that other communities are having. Right. Um, you know, these students are in communities where there's a lot of violence, uh, where there's a lot of abuse where there are a lot of, quite frankly, a lot of distractions. And so what we, what we learned is that like all of that stuff affects, you know, students' ability to learn. So once they come to the classroom, you know, and it's nothing really, there's a lot of things that when they come into the classroom, I have no control over, right? And, but it, it entirely impacts their ability to learn. And so like learning in, in, in my doctoral program, learning about executive function, Right. And learning about brain science and, and, and understanding that trauma, that poverty, that anxiety and depression and all those things that students come into the classroom with impacts their ability to learn. And all of those things are structural inequalities right. uh, that exist within our system or ecosystem in which, you know, a single teacher doesn't necessarily have control is, is very similar to healthcare, where, you know, the reason. So, you know, there's so many health inequities in certain communities is because systemically there, you know, there's poverty. There's a lack of grocery stores that, that sell, you know, uh, healthy and whole foods and fresh produce there. You know, there's no, you know, there's not a lot of doctor's office or pharmacies. There's not a lot of trust between communities. And so um, there's a lot of root causes of inequities that are both systematic, both in healthcare and education. And so I think, when I started to understand that, when I started to study some of those system in inequities, I think that's why it brought me back to healthcare because healthcare is one of those things that impacts a student's ability to come into the classroom. Mm. Uh, mm. That makes so much sense. I mean, essentially, you're talking about social determinants of health, but in the factor of, you know, just how these kids are learning in school. Um, something you kind of touched on there that I don't think we got the chance to expand on in your life story is that we've been calling you Marcus, but really we should be calling you Dr. Howard. So at what point along that journey did you decide to go back and pursue the PhD? And what was that experience like? No, Nigel, really good question. I think uh, for me, uh, and I appreciate that, you know, I, I'll take Dr. Howard or I'll take Marcus. It really don't matter to me. Uh, the work is going to get done either way. Um, it's, I think, <laughs> But I think when I, I think when I, after I was in the classroom for so, for a, a period of time, I think as a teacher, like for me, and I'll just speak for myself, I think one of the things that you realize is that, you know, I want to make a, a, a larger change, right? And, and when you learn that so many systemic stru and structural inequalities that exist that determine a student's ability to learn, Man, you, you you realize as a teacher, it's not a lot you can, I mean, you can do your best, right? But even then, I was a middle school teacher, they go to high school, right? And they're gone from you, right? And so you have, you know, this, you know, this distance. And so you don't necessarily have that impact anymore. Um, and when they, before they come to you, I don't know, you know, you don't know what elementary school they went to. And so 
there's so many things that I'm learning that impacts the student's academic outcomes. I wanted to really go and I wanted to learn more about that. And I wanted to really figure out on a, on a systems level how to change that because only until you have system, you know, you can change a class, you can change an individual's classroom, you can change an individual school, but until you understand the system uh, and, the, and the dynamics of that system, um, that's the only way you'll be able to create real change for everybody, right? And so I think with the organization I'm working with now, it's like, you know, we believe that all students deserve the, you know, the, uh, the ability to have a, a sound and, and excellent education. And so I think um, that's why I really, I went to, you know, to go get a PhD. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to do research on what's going on and how can we solve it. Inspirational, honestly. Like I'm sitting here just like, damn, like your your compassion and your passion, honestly, you know, just for what you do is 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 immense. You know, the fact that you know you could start out, you know, as a teacher, be able to really see a lot of those systemic issues and then even have the fortitude, but also the desire to go, you know, elevate yourself so you could give back to your community and to other communities is super dope, bro. And so I would just you know, it's a loaded term or a trendy word, but I'd be, you know, interested in what you, you know, how do you deal with compassion fatigue? Do you, do you suffer from compassion fatigue? You know, we're going to get into greater health in a second, but has there ever been any moment or time you're like, yo, it's, it's tough. Like, I just can't do it. I'm not, to be honest, I still, I go through that every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm tired every day. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm exhausted right now. <laughs> I'm exhausted, bro. Let me tell you. But it's, I think the uh, the motivation, I'm so motivated, like I see the light, you know, it's like when you on projects and you see the light, that, you know, the exhaustion is like second and then I, I'm still, you know, the motivation kicks, kicks in and, and takes over and the passion takes over and things like that. So like, I'm excited, I'll be honest with you, like I'm not gonna, be, I'm not gonna act like, oh, just cause I exercise every morning and I eat right and I'll, you know, I feel great, I, you know, I feel great, but I am exhausted, right? I'm working. We're building a business, you know, working in the community, you know, creating, you know, things and, and doing a lot of stuff. And so I'm exhausted. And I think, but I think having a great team, which I do, and a great support system, just, I guess going back to my childhood, I've always had a great support system. I don't take it, um, you know, and I, I don't take it for granted, right? But I think I still have that support system, family, friends. I got some amazing friends and some amazing parents and then an amazing team that I'm working with. Right. Uh, with greater health. And I know we'll go into it more, but I mean, I think the, the, the thing to do is like to always have a team. Like if I was doing this by myself, I wouldn't make, it. but I have, I have a team of people who, you know, are working together with, with a common purpose and, you know, we're having, we're having fun. We're really, we're serious uh, and we're on point. And I think that keeps me going. I'm exhausted right now. I'm exhausted. Excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we didn't mean to add to the fatigue, so we extra appreciate you taking the time for this, man. Um, so, you know, like we want to know a little bit about why a pharmacy, you know, like what was the inspiration specifically? You talked about working at the health at the hospital. That wasn't quite it. You talked about all the joy that you've got from being a teacher and continuing to teach for America. What yeah. was it where you were like, you know what, it's time for me to, to help my community by dispensing drugs in a way that's culturally competent and helps them out? What, what was that transition like? Yeah, no, you know, that's a really good question. And I think that uh, is actually like it goes back again. Everything go back to really my childhood and my childhood friends and things like that. 
but I have a, a, a childhood friend uh, who, you know, when we were in middle school and high school, with, we actually went to middle school and high school together, uh, and, and elementary school together, actually. Um, and we made a commitment to each other. Uh, she, she committed to being a pharmacist in St. Louis. We both committed to healthcare. I committed to being a doctor. Um, I didn't follow through with my commitment, obviously. Um, she, you know, she followed through with her commitment. Uh, and, and she currently works in the community and works uh, as a full-time pharmacist with Walgreens. And so um, we, we made a commitment to each other. And then, and so when I went off, to college and I, and I dropped, you know, the pre-med thing and I went into education, we would continue to talk about a lot of the inequities that existed. I would see articles about uh, STD rates or, or through the roof with uh, young black men and women in St. Louis. And St. Louis was like the headline, right? And so I'm seeing all of these things and I'm reaching out um, to my co-founder about what is going on with uh, some of the things in St. Louis as, as far as health. And she would talk to me about, you know, even though she works within a pharmacy, there were some gaps where there's an education gap where, you know, the, you know, people, you know, she would work in predominantly African-American community, low income communities in St. Louis. Um, and she would realize that there's an education gap. There's misconceptions about medication, about, uh, you know, diseases and th- communicable diseases and things like that. And so, um, there was a lot of, you know, miseducation and mistrust and a lot of things that were going on that exacerbated uh, the problems and the health inequities that existed in the community. And so um, and so we would always talk about it. And so while I was in North Carolina, uh, I made friends with uh, this guy named Dr. Martez Prince. And he actually started a pharmacy, a black owned pharmacy in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I had the pleasure to visit it. Um, and then I saw like the impact that it had on on the Charlotte community, which is very similar demographics to St. Louis. And it was a huge impact because what we learned was that people were more susceptible uh, to going to uh, and more willing to go to a pharmacist and talk about some of the issues they were having than a doctor's office. Right. Um, and, and and then the pharmacy became the health pillar or staple in the community, right? So not only was it dispenses medication, but it was it was a trusted source of health care advice and, and community and things like that. And I literally saw the impact. And so with that, with, with those experiences, I went back to my co-founder. I said, hey, um, read this, look this over. We're going to do this in St. Louis and, and the rest is, and we got to go on. Yeah, it's fire story, bro. Fire story. I mean, because it's just really, it's not like every day someone's like, yeah, I'm about to go start a major healthcare business like back home. Um, you know, so like, when did this journey start exactly? Like what year again was this that you started? This? July 2020. All right. Oh, so this literally, is fresh. Yeah, I literally, I started the first day I came with the idea, I started the GoFundMe page. So that's where, that's where I can date it. And I think it's like July... I think it was like a couple of days after the 4th of July. It was like the uh, July 6th or 7th, uh, something like that. Started to go for me page in two, uh, July 2020. And that's when we that's when we started. Crazy. Nigel, I know you want to say something. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, amazing. I just I had one follow up question, actually, from something that you said about your visit in Charlotte. Uh, what was it to you, of, of course, about that pharmacy where people felt like it could be that trusted source. You know, I think, you know, I've read that or seen that with 
barbershops in the African-American community being that trusted source. But I've never heard of a clinic being that kind of safe place for people to go to like that. So what do you think gave it that that magic for, for those people to be able to rely on it like that? Well, one, it was black owned. Right. And so it's a difference between being black managed and black owned. Um, and I think the uh, the owner, Dr. Martez Prince, he had such autonomy with being an owner of the company. He had so much autonomy in the way it felt, the way it sounded. There was music, you know, it was Aretha Franklin playing, you know, it, you know, it is it, culturally relevant music. You know, the people that he was able to hire or his people and the way he is, he went to an HBCU. So he had full autonomy on how it felt. And so it just felt different. You know, it's just certain things. It's just, you know, you walk into certain places, you you know the difference. Mm-hmm. It felt different, right? It smelled different, felt different, uh, looked different, right? With, you know, most of the people in there uh, were African-American pharmacists, uh, pharmacy technicians, assistants. Uh, there were community members that would come in and out. And so it just, it, it was, di- it just felt different. And when you walked in, you knew the difference. And that's, and, and that's very similar to what we want to bring to St. Louis as well. We, we needed to feel different, look different, sound different. Um, because, uh, again, it's, it's not just saying it's, it's Black-owned and it's a pharmacy, right? Then, well, then it, it wouldn't be any different than any other pharmacy. But it's, 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 the, it's what we put into it uh, and the procedures and the culture that we infuse in it um, that connects with people uh, that is going to connect with people and is going to, you know, change their perception uh, and, and the way they feel about healthcare. Yeah, no, now that is, that's a, that's a dream. I feel like for a lot of individuals like maybe Nigel and myself, maybe I'm speaking out of term, but you know, we are, you know, for me at least, you know, being a part of a major healthcare organization, obviously in a community in a region like St. Louis, but then knowing that individuals like yourself, are out here starting things like this, you know, Nigel and I, our perception is always like, you are a healthcare leader, right? You are part of the industry. You are part of the space because we need, you know, these kinds of services and access to this everywhere. Um, We go in so many different places, bro. But I just want to, I have to ask this. You've been able to do this since last year, all while managing an executive title, right? Like, like literally working in your, in your same, still performing your role. We know you got the team, but how do you literally do this? Is there a process? I mean, are you, are, do you have standard, you know, kind of things that you would do? Cause this is a lot, you know, how do you balance working and supporting an organization and then starting something that is huge, like your own? No, that's a good question. You know, I think, uh, I mean, like you said, you know, you definitely had a team. I, so personally, what do I do personally? I mean, I personally wake up every morning uh, around uh, four o'clock, four thirty. You know, work out, have some time to myself, do what I need to do before anybody is up, before any emails are coming through, before any phone calls. And so that is my time to myself and my business, right? Mm. Um, and then once you know, so work starts around eight or nine. You know, I've been up a whole five hours. You know, doing things to myself, right? Doing things for myself and my business. And then I go to work, right? And work is about nine to five. It's, my job is pretty flexible, though. Um, and then after five o'clock, it's back to my, you know, it's back to my business. So it's, it's an ebb and flow. And again, with building a business, it's not always full throttle, a lot to do, 
to be honest, right? Like, cause even right now it's being built right now. There's not a lot for me to do. So now I fall back and I go back to, you know, putting my full energy into to my work and things like that. But my, you know, my job is, I mean, is I still put all of my, what I need to put into my job to be successful. It's just that I have a lot of time after that. And I feel that time with, uh, with focusing on my business. So I feel like it's, it's really the, the dilemma of any uh, entrepreneur who is working a full-time job and, ha- and, and, and is not in the, and the business is not yet established to be able to um, support you full-time. And so you have to balance those two. Uh, but it's absolutely an ebb and flow. And I would say even work, I mean, work is not always full throttle either, right? There are down times to work. And when those, when those down, down times come to work, then, you, you know, you got a little more time to focus on your business. When there's a downtime with business, a little, you know, is a little uh, more time to focus on your job. And so it's just really just balancing the ebb and flow. Um, and uh, yeah, and to balance those. And it's just taking time. When I need a break, I just take a break. <laughs> you know, like I'm not like, yo, when I need a break, I take a break. I need a week off. No business, no work, just free. You know, and my partner is just like, you know, it's just like, I, no, you know, is you know things like that. So it's just, yeah, like I, I just have a, um, yeah, I just, I, I just take my time uh, and do what I need to do, and, and the ebb and flow, and, and just take my time. It sounds like you've, you know, established a lot of really strong habits in that ritual, though. Like to to you, it's just the ebb and flow, right? But I think, you know, establishing that practice of, you know, you get up, you work out, you have that time to yourself, you're, you're clocking things out, you get and you get your job done, right? It sounds like you have set up your schedule to help you be successful. Uh, what kind of tips would you give to someone who is just coming in, right? Like, I have an idea. I'm not sure what to do. Uh, what are some of the things that you would say to a young Black entrepreneur to help them along in their journey? Find resources. Like, I mean, I, you know, the, the best advice I could give to somebody is I don't have, a, I don't have all the answers, right? What I, you know, like even with the pharmacy, like we, I'm working with a, a, a whole consulting team that's working with me throughout the startup experience, working with the co-founder, working with Maxine Clark, I'm working with different organizations and people, like find the resources, right? Figure out what you need to get started and go find the resources and the people to help you out, right? You got the Small Business Development Center. You have different organizations throughout St. Louis uh, that help you get started that may have some, uh, you know, they may know where you can get some funds from. Uh, But that's the first thing you do. The first thing you do because you waste time if you don't really understand when you first start out, you don't really understand the ins and outs of business and, and building the and building the business, right? And, and if you start without any help, you kind of waste time. You might waste money. You know, it might take you longer than than it needs to needs to. So the the very like the advice I would give is just um, go find the resources, go find the organizations and the people that can help you get started. But do not start by yourself. Even if you got a team of people like you and some friends want to, as a team, go find the resources. Very sound advice, too. Um, I want to get back into this, man, because I just realized thinking about, you know, obviously COVID was going on when you started this, but also July 2020. I mean, the country was in a crazy place. A lot of stuff was going on around then. So, I mean... <laughs> What was it like starting a, a, a healthcare venture, healthcare startup during the most unprecedented pandemic we've ever seen in human history? 
That's a good question, but it, it, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it was actually a good time to start it. Mm. Right? There is turmoil, and whenever there are challenges, there's always time for innovation. There's always space for creating new things and innovation because problems need to be solved. So in actuality, where you know the COVID-19 pandemic was happening, people were looking for new solutions. Um, and people were recognizing that co- there was a culture gap of why people, why people were not trusting vaccines and why people had misconceptions about things like that. And so um, it was actually the perfect time. And I think that's what actually helped me get a little bit more momentum because there were so many things happening around healthcare, around specific communities, and really not a lot of people had the answer. And so, you know, I had this idea was like, well, I, this idea will help bridge that gap. And so uh, I think that, you know, bridging that gap, um, I think people, that story, that, that, that story resonated with people, right? That storytelling of culturally competent pharmacy being a center, the staple, um, working with community to alleviate inequities that exist, uh, I think it was the perfect time. And it, I think it helped accelerate my timeline. So start a start a business, a healthcare business during the pandemic. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> right. Like, but it's, you know, what you're saying is like, you know, I think I can't even remember the um quote, you know, chaos or whatever is the best environment for innovation or you know what you were speaking. Absolutely. About. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I think you know, you know, you you start a, a workforce development company during the Great Recession, right? I mean, you know, it's like yeah, employment is high. You know, somebody who can start a business around getting people employed. There's always a space uh, for innovation when there's chaos and, and, and inequities that exist. And so, you know, I would dare say, you know, it's, it's a great time to create new solutions um, when, you know, when people need them. And, when, and during those times, people need solutions. Hmm. And so yeah, it's the best time to start something. And the easiest time. Because people are like, you know, people with money are like, uh, yeah. you, you got this plan, we're going to give it to you because we need solutions, right? And there are not enough people who are brave enough or courageous enough who have the resources or the wherewithal or even the desire to start new things, right? And so the people who, you know, I think it was, it's this quote that I, that I actually got from Kanye is like, God favors the brave, right? And so it's just like during those times, like, you know, the world needs brave people to step up. And, you know, it's actually easier, you know, to get funding, to, to get moving during those times. Yeah. Yeah, man. God, such good words there. And I, I actually have, you know, a question for you about perseverance. You know, you talked about the money portion um, and, you know, and looking through your article and everything, I, I did notice that for your, your GoFundMe, it hasn't it hasn't quite hit the goal. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and I wanted to know what was that like? You know, what was that like to see? Because, you know, like I'm sure you check it a lot, especially in, especially in the beginning and had to be. A, OK, how's this going? Are we getting closer? And yeah. what was that like to kind of get punched in the gut like that to start, but then find the perseverance to keep going? You know, that's a, Nigel, that's a really good question, man. I don't know. And so now and that's why I have. I have the two articles. I have the first article that says, oh, millennials trying to raise money. And then the other one says, oh, raise a million dollars. Because I think it's, it's, it's such a juxtaposition. Where, <laughs> um, like you said, you actually go to that other article and you go to the GoFundMe page and I only raised $8,000. My goal was $6,000. Mm-hmm. 
And in the GoFundMe, I only raised $8,000. And so this is what I'll say. Um, and I think just from my background, I understood about business and I understood the ebbs and flows and I understand you're going to get punched in the gut. That's part of the process, right? And I think when you understand that and you expect that, it's not a punch in the gut, right? And so it's just, you know, you really, I started to go for me really to get the word out there, right? It's almost like once you put an idea in the universe, the universe conspires to make it happen, right? And so like the GoFundMe page was just like, yo, let's get it started. I'm doing it. I'm about to start asking for money. And literally what happened was that GoFundMe and that article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch got to different people, including Maxine Clark, who then reached out to me. It was like, I love this idea. I want this in the Del Mar Divine. Uh, and then she became the absolute best mentor I ever had. And, and we literally created a partnership. She helped me every step of the way. And so... Um, you know, so with that, you know, I don't look at not hitting the funding goal, you know, as a punch in the gut, right? I only hit 8,000, but then I'd use that $8,000 to build, like, um, to go find a consulting company and to pay them to start helping me. Right. Um, and so then they helped me create a, 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 a more comprehensive, uh, business plan to then go get the million dollars that we have now. Right. And so, it's kind of just like using things as stepping stones and just getting the idea out there. Uh, Cause that's like the hardest part. Right. And, and it was, it is hard because people are looking at it, right now. You're looking at it now with us have raising all the money, but then just imagine like a few months after that, like when, when the money stops coming in and, 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 the, and the hype dies down and people go and look at it and it's like, man, you only raised eight thousand. You, you can't do nothing with $8,000. How you gonna get a pharmacy and you only raise $8,000, but you know, I think it's just understanding. It's like, okay, well, what can I do with $8,000? Okay, I can create some materials. I can go pay for some help and, you know, and start planning. And then that's what we did. We used that $8,000 to to plan for the million dollars and, and we made it happen. I love that, bro. I, I think it's just such a, such a good lesson there, you know, across industries, right? Like things don't always work out to plan, especially when you're starting something new. Um, and I think especially for, for uh, young black folk out there, like it's real easy to get shut down and then to kind of be shut down from there. But, you know, so, taking that and going forward, there's so much to be gained, man. And Nigel, let me tell you, like I've reached out to almost, I think the world, I had a list of 85 people to reach out to ask for money. It wasn't until I got to like the 82nd person, you know, that really, you know, an organization that really helped me out and, and helped me get most of the money. Right. And that was after all the no's and all the, you're not a pharmacist. There's no way you're going to be able to do this. And, and why would you do this? And how are you going, how are you going to buy, you know, medicine and where are you going to get this from? And how are you going to get contracts? And how are you going to, and then how you going to raise the money? How you going to get $600,000 and all of this, you know, people should. And then and finally, you know, you find and you don't. And it's, it's one of those things where you just can't listen to it. You just have to understand that as coming. And all you're looking for is, is one yes. Right. It's like the no is not personal. The, the doubt is not personal. The, the, the not the non-belief is not personal at all. Right. It's just. That's just that's how people look at it. Right. And, and for me, I understand all I need. I know this is a good idea. All I need is one yes. And I got that one yes I, after talking to 80 people. Um, and one, you know, one organization said, you know what, we we wholeheartedly believe in this. And we're going to help you out tremendously. Um, and then after that organization uh, came through, then everything else comes through, you know. So like, then it's like, oh, now everybody else, you know, <laughs> right. 
but you just have to understand like the no's are not personal and you just gotta keep going until you get a yes. That's really, that's literally the game. It's a numbers game. Everybody's not gonna believe in the idea. Everybody's not gonna see the idea. Everybody's not gonna like the idea. Everybody's not gonna support you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like none of that, you know? And I, and I, I say that if you black, white, you know, Asian, Latinx, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, male, female, it doesn't matter what demographic you are, everybody's gonna experience that. Everybody is not going to believe in you. Everybody's not going to support you, but you just have to believe in the idea and you have to keep going, right? You just, you just never stopped, you know? And so it's just like, just kept going, just kept calling, calling. I know this is, I know this is a good idea. It's a pandemic, you know? You know, people are dying at a disproportionate rate. Like, they're health inequities in our community. I know this is a good idea. Like, this is a solution to the idea, so I know it's a good idea. You just got to find the right people at the right time, you know, and, and people who are working on the same thing. And once that, when that, once that comes together, um, it, it, it's all good. So, I, yeah, I just say, like, yeah, just be prepared for that. Because people are going to say no. People going to say it's a bad idea. People going to knock you down. It's just all part of it. It's almost like you just got to prep for it. You can't, you can't allow it to be a surprise. Oh, wait, what? No, I'm, I'm prepared for that. Like, tell me it's a bad idea. Tell me you're stupid. Tell me I'm not going to do it. Tell me I'm not going to raise it. It's all, part of the, it's all part of the journey. Yo, Nigel, we need a soundboard, bro. Like, drop bombs, fire, <laughs> facts. We just need all of it because so many quotables. I mean, you know, like 8,000 to a million. You literally did that. And that is extremely powerful. And I, I just hope that everybody listening really heard what you said, because I don't even know if perseverance is the word. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think about just that that mentality, just, you know, hustling and, 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 and you know, being very confident and in, in, in knowing that, trusting yourself, knowing that, you know, your idea, like you said, is a good idea and just not folding on that is super powerful. So definitely appreciate that wisdom, man. I do want to transition more specifically into greater health a little bit. And um, ask you maybe some loaded questions, um, but okay. all right. So you know, when this opens up, launch within a year. What does a get a good year look like for you and for Greater Health and for the team? Yeah, you know that's a good that's a good question. What does a good year look like? Well, I, I will say that um, I'm not. We're not necessarily on the line for uh, for for or how much is going to um, make, right? We got, you know, we got invested, you know, we got, you know, organizations invested in this. Our big thing that we're on the hook for is impact, right? And so we got this five-year impact plan uh, where one year uh, of greater health looks like we're still in business and it looks like we've, uh, we've touched as many uh, minority uh, underrepresented people in St. Louis as possible with our type of service, right? Which, we're deeming it culturally competent uh, pharmaceutical care. And so like a, a successful year looks like us, you know, increasing access to culturally competent health care uh, to as many uh, underrepresented minorities in the St. Louis community as possible. And it looks like we're still in business. So that's your one. And this is, you know, um, a little bit more of a, of a of a loaded question. This one really is, but 
you know, one of the things, this was actually the first time, this is after the first time we connected and I am a public health major, so I can admit that I'm sad I didn't know this term. But um, after we connected for the first time, I remember seeing an article about pharmacy deserts, which really was, again, like it was a new concept to me. You know, you hear food, food deserts, you think about that, um, but you never even think about, you know, access, locality when it comes to what's going on other than food, other than that, you know, main determinant. So can you speak a little bit more about the Del Mar Divine Project? Because I know you mentioned that and really how you see that and greater, how you see that project boosting greater health and, and enabling you to get even more access to some of those communities you talked about. Yeah, I think greater health is like the perfect flagship store. Um, you know, it's, it's the perfect place to have a flagship store because their mission and their vision is around community development and rooting and improving community. Uh, and so building, you know, with them building relationships with the community as they're doing now, and what they'll do, uh, along with the different organizations that are in that building, uh, we also have that same mission, right? And so we will be connected to the community, we'll be servicing the community in different ways. And so really the Del Mar Divine is just a perfect uh, vessel for us to uh, do the work that we want to do. And I think uh, they get to live up to their moniker as uh, being the Delmar divine and creating the divide, you know, and and, do, and and one way to do that is making sure that everybody on both sides have access to uh, equitable health care um, and improving those outcomes for everybody. So I think that's, the, you know, most importantly, that's kind of the, um, the perfect partnership and the perfect place to have our flagship store where we start at. And then, of course, Maxine Clark. I mean, she's, you know, she's leading uh, that project and she has been instrumental uh, in making this happen. I mean, you know, she's been the one person who absolutely believed in the project and in me. And if I didn't believe in myself, you know, she definitely had enough belief in me to make that up for it. I mean, but I mean, I, did, I definitely believe in myself, but she also just really believed in me and believed in the project. And she, and she didn't relent, like anything that I needed, any resources, you know, she would send them my way and things like that. And so I think also having the people on your side uh, and, and, and ensuring that it's going to be successful, I think, you know, you couldn't ask for a better uh, place to start. And just for, you know, any non-St. Uh, Louis folks who are listening or watching or may not be in St. Louis, uh, the Del Mar Divine is, is a new community-based uh, project. It's going to be a, a really dope space um, to redo the Del Mar Divide, which is this age-old, you know, phenomena that kind of... <clears throat> explains the, the the segregation, at least geographically within the city. So the Del Mar divide is really to do the opposite of that. And greater health, as Marcus said, will be uh, one of the brand new um, businesses featured in that new space. So really excited for that. And of course, shout out to Maxine Clark, St. Louis OG legend, everything. See you, Nigel. Yeah, definitely. Sorry about that. I, it was cutting in and out for me for a second there. So you can just cut out that portion if can I we, sounded weird at can all. We, can we pause? Can we pause for like uh, yeah. like seconds real quick? Yeah. Sorry again about the video, bro. I don't know. Nah, I, don't, bro, I couldn't hey. get IT over here today in time to to fix it. I don't know what's going on with it. Oh no no no! You're good, bro. I was gonna say I'm loving the flow. I think for for this to be our 
first episode in a minute. I'm happy. I think uh, I got to get like you. You're, I got to be a little bit better. That's my delivery. I'm like, damn, Nigel's killing the game. So <laughs> don't matter. Not at all. Not at all, man. You're doing fantastic. Nah. All right. See, Marcus is back. So take it away, bro. All right. Well, well, so we kind of talked about the company a little bit. We talked about his journey. Uh, do we have time to do a few like questions for, you know, up and coming people? Or are we kind of are we cutting close here before I jump into it? I think, Marcus, you tell us. Let's go. You got time for okay. more questions. Great. Awesome. So we talked a little bit earlier, Marcus, about what you would say to a young and upcoming entrepreneur. And you had some great advice for that. You talked a little about your schedule, finding a mentor. All that is fantastic advice. Do you have a piece of advice that you would give someone up and coming, trying to figure it out, no matter what field they're in, that you don't think that they hear very often? And what would that be? We'll go back to go get some help. I think, especially in the, I think, especially, I think in all aspects of like the black community, we talk about mental health, right? And mental health is about, you know, understanding that you have challenges and going to get professional help, right? And going out and reaching out and getting help. I think in any aspect of challenges, I think with, you know, sometimes we, I don't want to speak for the entire community, but just what I know of my community um, you know, we try to, you know, do it ourselves and not ask for help when to be prideful. But I think in any industry and in 2021, there is so many resources that anything you want to start, go find somebody who started it, go find somebody, go find an organization that supports it, go find people that are doing it and, and, and learn from them and, and start working with them and build partnerships with them. I mean, that that is what I'm, that's, that's what I would give any advice to anybody. I am, I am not this ultra smart, super whatever person, right? I just went, I said I wanted to do it. And then I went and found help. I went and found independent RX consultant that literally said, we can help you from idea to the opening of the pharmacy. And then even the, the managing with the pharmacy and the finances and things like that all throughout, right? I didn't even, who knew that there was a consulting company that helped people start pharmacies? Literally, the literally for me, like you know what I'm saying? Like, how much does it cost? Five thousand dollars. I got eight, you know what I'm saying? Like it was perfect, right? And so I would just say anybody that's starting stuff, something, go find help, go get help. <laughs> like, before you start anything, go get help, go talk to people. Um, before you start anything, because then you realize how easy it is, right? When you, He's like, oh, somebody has a blueprint for you. Oh, here's the here's the that twenty page document that tells you how to start something, right? I think um, I think, and then it makes your journey a little bit smoother, right? And it, and it gives you a little bit more confidence, um, and it just makes it a little easier when you know when you go ask for help on the front end, you know, and then you basically have a roadmap, and then you go from there. Um, but yeah, that's the. You know, it's, I, I know this is not the, you know, the, the most, you know, noteworthy advice, but it's the best advice that I learned on any, on all my journey just in life. Go get help. Go, don't, don't try to do nothing by yourself. Don't, don't do something the hard way. You know, if you're trying to build a house, go find an architect, go find a construction company and ask, you know, how do you build a house? Like, what are the steps? What are the bricks that I need? How much does it cost? Boom, boom, boom. And then when you get ready to do it, you got all the information, Right. When you want to start a school, go find some, 
talk to people who started schools before. Talk to principals. Talk to, you know, talk to those people. And then when you're ready to start a school, you got everything that you need. And so, um, and, I, and I don't think people tell people that. It's right. It's like, go do something. Okay, I got to do it by myself. No, you don't. Go ask for help. Go get help. You know, so that is, that's probably the biggest, uh, that's probably the advice that I would give people. And in 2021, everything is on the internet and resources are, are abundant. So I think, um, I think this is the best time to go get help with anything you want to start. I mean, you can learn anything on YouTube. I mean, there's a consultant for absolutely everything. So don't try to do, you know, don't try to do nothing by yourself, man. Like, you know, go get help. No matter what industry you're in, go get help. I actually think you're underselling that piece of advice a little bit there. I don't think we, you know, whether we're talking about being men, whether we're talking about being African-American or whether we're even talking about how we're raised as Americans in general, that, you know, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you do it all on your own. No one actually does it on their own. And it's so good to hear someone who has had so much success already and is in the path of building something, share that out because it's so important. You're right. It's totally okay just to say like, I need some help right now. I need some assistance or I don't know. That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, like you said, as black men, you know, yeah, you put yourself by not me. I want help. <laughs> Give me some help. Everybody else get help. I want some help. I need some help. I need some help raising this money. I need some help creating this business plan. I need some help with this pitch deck. I need some help with building a team. I need some help with writing this press release. I need some help. I am not trying to do anything by yourself. And then when you realize when you get that help, you actually then build a whole team of people in a network of people who then support it. And then you sustain the project longer and, and you become more successful when you bring more people into that idea and you ask for help. You actually inadvertently like building a whole network of people who know about it, who support it and, uh, and things like that. You bring people on that journey. So I think that's also something uh, that helps out in the journey uh, indirectly. Yeah, no, I'm just, you know, I'm really sitting here thinking another thing that comes to my mind almost is, you know, so people definitely don't ask for help and that's great advice, but I feel like some people almost get paralyzed, particularly within our community, because I feel like I meet so many people who may have great ideas, but they almost feel like they're not ready to ask for help because there is no work product or it is just an idea. So what would mm. you say to folks who may kind of be in that space where like, hey, you know, I'm not ready or I don't feel ready yet to even go start doing some of that? I would say get over that feeling, man. I mean, get over the feeling. Like that's not, that's the only advice I can give somebody. You got to get over that feeling. Like, and people get funded at any stage. You know, people get help at any stage. Like, you know, like an idea. People have ideas all the time and, and go get a million dollars and and run with it, right? And so, like, have an idea is the perfect time to go ask for help, right? Because um, I think you know it's not too far into the idea. You haven't wasted money yet, you haven't wasted resources yet, you haven't wasted people's time yet. Um, having an idea is the perfect time to go to people and say, hey, I have this idea. What do you think about it? What do you think? How, to, how, how, how would I then go to the next step? That's actually the perfect time. Just have an idea. That's actually the perfect time. So I would say get over that thought of, I, you know, I don't have enough to go get help. People have raised a lot of money with less. And so just 
that's the perfect time. Having a, just having an idea is the perfect time to go get help. Love it, man. Great, great advice. Winston, did you have any other questions you wanted to, to throw Marcus this way? Oh, no, man. Before the rapid fire, I don't I forget if we did it before or after. I just want to give him an opportunity to plug, you know, greater health or any of his socials. But uh, I'm good on my, my end. Yeah, awesome. Well, Marcus, we're going to go ahead and give you a chance. Can you tell people where they can find you, where they can find information about greater health or your work at Teach for America? Just how people can get in touch, work on the project or help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, right now, uh, you can go to LinkedIn and find me on LinkedIn, or you can email me at uh, Marcus P. Howard, the number one at gmail.com. Um, or you can, you know, type in Greater Health Pharmacy and Wellness uh, in Google and find articles about it. But right now, we don't necessarily have a website yet um, uh, or anything like that. So really, I'm just taking personal emails and personal calls um, and talking to people uh, really through LinkedIn and email. Awesome. Great. Well, we'll be sure to share those out in the show notes as well for people. Um, be sure to get in contact with, with Marcus or Dr. Howard, you know, either works for him. Uh, now we're on to the rapid fire questions. So I've got three questions oh, for you. I can see you the stress there. already, brother. It's okay. Yeah, 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 you all didn't yeah, send me the, the rapid fire questions. <laughs> I'm ready though. I mean, I have no idea what they're going to be, but yeah, I'm ready though. All right, let's get into it. So number one, invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. You going, it, question, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> no, because the animal crackers are not made out of meat. <laughs> Last one, <laughs> climb a mountain or jump off a plane? Jump off a plane. Oh, I would have gone climb a mountain before I'm jumping out of a plane, but I respect it. And that's all. See, it was nice, easy. No, that wasn't bad. That wasn't too bad. Show. I was ready for some more. No, that wasn't too bad at all. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I think that's that's, that's pretty much it. Um, Marcus, Dr. Howard, that's my bad for sure. Uh, but we definitely appreciate you coming on the show, bro. Um, this has been an amazing conversation, man. So thank you. No, I appreciate that, Nigel and Winston. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, and hopefully we do something where we're able to come on again and maybe next time I'll be able to come on with my co-founder. Well, that's it for the episode and we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.